period, yeah. I'm a black, brown, and indigenous. Gotta holla if you really feeling this. Gotta holla if you really real enough. Other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holla if you really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah, we gonna live in abundance. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna. I gotta keep it a hundred. We gotta stop all the stunting. You know we coming from nothing. Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing. We gotta do something different. We gotta change how we living. We gotta do better for women. We gotta do better for children. We gotta listen to victims, whether Jewish or Muslim or Christian. It doesn't matter your religion. You gotta stand against the system, or else you're just another villain. How you just sitting there chilling? Who wanna live as a sovereign persons? Sovereign nation. Our father of nation, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, we got the independence from British, Hindu, and we basically we ruled India 1,000 years before Indian British occupation, 200 years. So in our blood, our father of nation taught us one thing. As per Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 1400 said, "You born freed." You have to say what you want to say with respect. And nation of Pakistan never tried to be ruled by outsiders. Just like Afghanistan, just like African and South Asians and the South Hispanic people. They just want to live like as a human. That's the crime we did from the day one. Pakistani nation never stand for any kind of occupation by anyone in the world. Occupation in Kashmir since 1947 by Indian 900,000 army, and they said killed 200,000 Kashmiri freedom fighters against the past resolution of United Nations, backed by why they why he don't want to do it, follow the UN nation, uh, resolutions, India because they're the back right. of the big powers, same like Israel. Think about can Israel. Live for one day without the help of this occupier and no. mentality of the colonialism. No. So Pakistani nation always try to stand to promote anybody who promote peace and the dialogue based solution of the conflicts, international conflicts especially. We have from the day one controlled by first eleven years. We were run by the new generation, new country, people who were the landlords. Big lands. Any election, they win. Then some few educated people they control from 1947 to 1958. That was time of the Cold War. Cold War. In 1958, knowing you know these all Western and American strategists, they are very good to know about you, your weaknesses, your beauty, your power. They always afraid of the nations, small nations who just got independence from the colonialism, that they will not accept any kind of dictation. Right. So, 1958, USA want to expand the whole things, whole agenda. So they change the regime in Pakistan and put the first time army coup, led by Mr. Ayub Khan, 1958. 
Okay. And then at the same time, there was a one guy who was a very, very sharp, very intelligent, got the highest degree of the law from West, name was Zede Bhutto. He joined the government of dictator years and years. Then he changed, he put his own party, People's Party, PPP, 1967-68. And then he become like a public guy. But in my point of view, as a Secretary General of Pakistan USA Freedom Forum, we have to know what's behind. So in my point of view, he was working for other things. So then he changed the whole politics. Mm-hmm. So when we kicked out the dictator of Ayub Khan and his other guy, Yahya Khan, and we lost our East Pakistan, which was the majority, and we did some mistakes as a younger and powerful brother, West Pakistan, and they have a lot of grievances against West Pakistan. And they got independence now is a Bangladesh. But Bhutto, he played the big role. Why? Because Bengali is mostly is a very, very forceful for democratic system. Pakistan was run by most landlords, like Bhutto was a landlord, big landlord. But anyway, we got a constitution of Pakistan, 1973. We never have a constitution before, since 1947. So that was credit goes to Bhutto and the all opposition parties. So this is the little background that we were ruled by mostly the CIA-backed army dictator because they want to use us against the Cold War as a CETO and central organization member. Is that the still plan kind of, for right now? Uh, that was the time of 1958. Mm-hmm. Okay, then 1979, when Russia made a big mistake and invaded in Afghanistan, saying that Afghani people called me. And Pakistan, USA Freedom Forum, we never like this thing that somebody crossed the international border, accepted international border. We call this invasion. It's done by Russia in 1979 is done by now in over there. There must be a reason. Right. In Ukraine, I'm talking about now. But now in Afghanistan, the first Islamic state, he came over there. And after 10 years war, in the meantime, CIA overthrew the Mr. Bhutto. Maybe he was, they done, they, they got whatever they want to got from this person. Maybe he worked for them. But he was a very intelligent person. People love him because he was a good orator. He studied in England. He spoke very good English. Anyway, so when he was hanged because he rigged the election, and the army coup led by General Zia mm-hmm. on 5th of July 1977, and after two years, Russia came to Afghanistan because Pakistan is a, you know, ge- geographically is very important for the hot water to run the business whole year internationally. That's where the Pakistan near the Gawadar and near that kind of stuff. So we have a area which is good for to go to the send the ship, ship to the everything to the west and east whole year. Otherwise in winter the ships are very hard to go and travel. But that was that's a simple thing. It's a business thing. Right. So nineteen seventy seven coup it goes to nineteen eighty eight when Somebody said it's a CIA game. They blew the plane 
C-130 helicopter with the top commander of Pakistani army and ambassador of United States. They died. Oh, wow. And Mr. And Miss, 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 Miss Bhutto, Benazir, young girl, and she was exiled. She came down and people said that she made a deal with the army, the army which was over the CIA before and the killer of his father. But they make a deal because they love the government. Right. So there's a background of a history that how the CIA was nails in the Pakistani politics. Now, so then there was to a the public, this is new information. I don't think so anyone in America knows yeah, this. That's public. That's a revolution. I mean, say, who by Zia, 1977. He used Islam, just like a Bhutto used the socialism. Yeah. Bhutto. So he used Islam because Islam is a 99% Muslim. Doesn't matter you are communist, you are it's a free country. You can say whatever you want to say. There's a lot of tolerance, but after the Ziyas, as a government, he used the Islam and then he created one puppet who was in a trade and was a victim of Zedek Bhutto's policies. They lost a lot of money and a lot of business. So the Sharif family, Nawaz Sharif, who's wanted by the court, he's in London nowadays. So he was groomed in the army nursery in 1980s. Mr. Nawaz Sharif. So then he become a prime minister. And then two years later, Benazir Bhutto became a prime minister. So they have like a two years. So you are prime minister, they're fighting each other. Then you are the maneuver the game, go against the prime minister, Benazir Bhutto. Then Benazir Bhutto go against the Nawaz Sharif. It's just like a game. Right. And who suffered? Youth suffered. Future of the youth suffered. Economy suffered. And most of the member of the party of the Nawaz Sharif and the Benazir, especially her husband, Asif Zardari, which is now leading the party. Okay, after the death of Benazir. Okay. So they are mostly corrupt people. They looted the money. They put the money in Sid's account, in London accounts, in American accounts. So CIA knows they're all bullshit. They're looting, they're murdering, they're everything, they have the fights. Right, right. So anyway, then the 1999, General Michel, there was a fourth coup, fourth martial law. 1958 to 1967-68, then 67-68 to the 1972-3, uh, then 1977 martial law to the 1988 army government. Then General Pervez Musharraf, Pakistan USF Reform Field, that Musharraf is one of the dirtiest and lowest level general and soldier in the all army book, in the history of the army book. This guy, mm -hmm. he sold the humans. He sold the Dr. Afia Siddiqui now serving in 86 years jail without nothing which people called mockery with the US justice system. Dr. Afia Siddiqui, which was picked up in Pakistan by the CIA and FBI, whatever, and the Musharrafs goons in Karachi with the three kids. Her youngest son was died when they are arrested her. They are kidnapping her. And 2003 to 2008, there was no news of Dr. Afshir Siddiqui. She was a Boston, I mean, an educated girl in the Nero, PhD. So this kind of stuff, he sold the people, Mr. Musharraf. 
he sold the ambassador of United Kabul in Pakistan to the CIA, Mullah Zaif. They brought to the Guantanamo Bay. So these are the heinous crimes done by, and then the missing people in Pakistan, thousands of families still waiting for their loved ones where they're gone in the name of war of terror. So people call him, will call him Poodle of Bush, Musharraf, a Poodle of CIA. Okay. He's in Dubai, wanted by the Pakistani courts. So then there was when he was a ruling and the Nawaz Sharif was outside, Benazir was outside, self-exiled. Congress arise and the um, diplomat of British, powerful diplomats, they forced and they asked the Benazir and Nawaz, two party leaders, that you have to have to agree to end our own national reconciliation order, whatever. It's just like a South African things. This NRO, National Reconciliation Order, Regulation, whatever. So they said, okay, you will be, in my point of view, they said, okay, you will be in power because they are power hungry. Nawaz Sharif and Benazir. So they've signed the deal, which basically CIA what they want, like every other occupiers, that they want to put, keep their safely exit for the Musharraf who was a puppet, because after 1977, evolution in Iran, 1979, they are, have a bad reputation, United States, that they don't care about their puppets. I mean, if Raza Shah Pahlavi, who was the king of the Iran that time, working for CIA. Mm. So they just want to show the world that we care about the people, our workers, our servants. So that NRO deal, they work after 2000, they give the whole blanket green light for the Mr. Musharraf's crimes. His goons who was involved in Karachi, MQM, who was involved in, MQM is a fascist group in the first time in Pakistan, led by Altaf Hussain. He's in nowadays and since 1990 in London as a UK citizen. And he was a terrorist basically. Oh, wow. M5 or M16 working, using him to create unrest in one of the richest cities of Karachi. So you're saying this using is the man that, that worked with Saddam Hussein? Uh, say again? Uh, just for clarity, you said this is the man that you said that worked with Saddam Hussein? No, no, Saddam Hussein, Musharraf. Okay, got you, got you. He was a, Musharraf gave him the blanket. You can kill anybody, you can loot anybody, you can rape anybody, nobody will say anything to you. Just to keep harass in Karachi, because Karachi is basically known in 19, from the day one, as a city of the opposition. So Musharraf used this of Hussain, using as a linguistic thing, as a Urdu speaking, blah, blah, uh -huh. migrated people. Even they're born in the independent country, but they call them Mohajir, like a migration. Okay. Stupid, you are not migrated. Your father may be migrated for the good cause. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I, I'm in, I'm a migrant, but my son is not migrated. Yes. He's a U.S. citizen. Yeah. If I have a son, disclosure: I don't have a son. Okay, no kid. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the whole story. So these, at this moment, the two parties, Asif Zardari and Nawaz Sharif, which is in London, controlling from London, like Altaf and controlling Karachi from London, uh -huh. with the different faces. So these are the people at this moment again come to join the CIA again, I think.
and go against the man whose name is Imran Khan, who took oath 25th of August 2018. And one thing is very clear that we never have an honest person as a ruler. He was the first person I think people claim, and I think he's a honest. But be honest with you, he has no experience in politics basically because he was international star of the cricket. He married to the one of the richest women of the British family, Jemima Smith. And now he got the two sons from Jemima. They divorced. He married maybe two times more. And this Imran Khan have a respect because he stands for the openly against, as father of nation said, Muhammad Rijana, that we stand against any kind of occupation in Kashmir, in Palestine, in South Africa, in South Asia, anywhere in the world by any superpower. Right. We don't care. Right. Right. So that's the crime of Mr. Imran Khan. I'm not saying that he's angel. No. He, he showed to the people in 2018 election that he has a good team for economics, which is lie. He said he has a good team, good work, homework, blah, 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 blah. And then he done some childish thing in my point of view. The guy who was convicted or got a bad name from judges of Pakistan, he let him sit inside the meetings of the cabinet. And that guy has a Jahangir Tareen. He's the guy in 1990s with the Musharraf, I think one of the biggest beneficiary of the NGOs from the United Nations funds and United Nations things. He was a, some kind of professor, but now he joined the PTI in, in after, I think, in 2000. He worked for the Imran Khan. He liked the Imran Khan. But when they come into power, he tried to use inside trader for his business, for his something. And when he got caught, he go against the Imran Khan. Because Imran Khan, people said, you promised us the honest government. Right. Your own people is doing this shit. Like Alim, Mr. Alim, now he's a leader of opposition in Punjab. Jahangir Thin, yes, Jahangir Thin, Alim helped a lot. Party PTI, Pakistan, Tahrika, Insaf, Justice Party, like. No doubt, Alim Khan, they are the big um, property dealers and the agriculture land of Jahangir Thin and the programs of NGOs. So these two names were very helpful for the Ibrahim Khan in past. Now, when the government came and they come close to the government, they try to do the same shit to enjoy the government benefits against the people and then try to hide. Doing a crime is okay, but trying to hide, just like we. Crime we committed in the United States, in Iraq, killing the people, in Afghanistan people, killing them, kids, and the wedding parties by drones. That's the crime. Yes, but there's a bigger crime when you try to hide. Thank God Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Right. And Edward Snowden. Right. And Chelsea Menon. Freedom, by the, the way. brave American citizen and Australian citizen of, citizen of the world who showed us the real face of United States government. And being a citizen of this country, being living in this country, I mean, citizenship is nothing. When you're living in this country, this is your duty to think better for this country. And what's the better? Tell the truth. We are the only nation as a United States who was involved in torture, abduction, ghost flights in 
2000 war on terror, kidnapping the people, killing them, using the Syrian government to torture Canadian citizens, using Musharraf to sell the people to the CIA, every human $5,000. And that's why the Musharraf and his goons, who was working with him as a military uniform, are politician. Right. Chaudhrys of Gujarat, Altaf Hussain, MKM, PPP, Nawaz Sharif, Muslim League, PMLN. They are the whole people who was the make a deal with the United States, work for the United States, because United States promised them we will never touch your money, looted money of Pakistan. And Pakistan at this moment is basically bankrupt. Easy for to easy, easy for to the colonial capitals to arm twist of Pakistan because Pakistan has no money to pay their officials to civil servants. Right. So this is the situation now. And at this moment, these all opposition parties on one side, they are the same who serve the CIA interest. He's the only one who show that take a stand that no, we're going to make our foreign policies independently. Because our army generals in past that not a bad name due to the killing their own citizens for citizens of for US and for CIA and for the West. In Afghanistan, in name game of the Afghanistan war on terror, Pakistan army, which is one of the best soldiers in the world. But sorry to say, our leadership, I mean top 16 commanders, they are very low self-streamed generals and politicians that's the biggest problem that's why i said pakistan is a classic lesson for any nation who want to avoid not to go to bankrupt who want to know that how you can prosper and good for the future of the youth and play the big role for the peace in the world right. yes at this moment pakistan as for my secretary general of pakistan usa freedom forum What's happening in that area? India, who was the friend of the USSR, long time, and have an atomic power. In 1974, India did the 1974 atomic power. USA, because India was the USSR, I think in US, Washington was very little easy for us when we were creating the atomic bomb, which we did in 1999, I think. Right. So we are the atomic power too at this moment. But now India is coming close to USA as a puppet. I hope the Indian politician will learn the lesson from Pakistan. When you become a puppet of colonial mentality, you are nothing. You will lose everything. Yes, for some families, big families can make a trillion dollars in banks in Switzerland. That was the reason is the London and American banks are prosperous because you know why? Because they have the money from outside. Right. Trillions dollars at this moment in Switzerland account in England. I think England economy is so many too much have a benefit from the looted country who's deposited in London, UK by the corrupt politicians and corrupt journals and corrupt bureaucrats. Well, same I hate to um, I hate to cut you off, comrade. Same benefit when the United Switzerland government tried to pose that they are 
impartial and they make the money in second world war yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, I hate to cut you short comrade um yeah. i, I want to thank you so much for coming on here uh for the last thought i i, I it sounds like we have to build a hands-off pakistan movement i think over here and pakistani living abroad we're trying our best to help and tell the world that we love peace in the world right and the war in ukraine at this moment no occupation in philistine israel want to live in this world you jews people they are innocent people they're nice people but the government and the people who control who's controlled by the washington are they control washington jews i don't know mm. but that's not a way to live in this world you right. have no good future for your youth jewish people if you occupier right. same message to the india <laughs> same message to anybody who's occupier anywhere in the world exactly I want to thank you so much, comrade, for coming on here, and definitely love to have you back on another time. Um, thank you so now much for the one thing that I can share with you that at this moment, thank God, there's no CIA back coup exactly. still matters in the parliament or in the courts. That's a good sign, a future, in my opinion. Okay. So, so they're in the course to to be against the coup. No, this I mean there's a free course. You have problem as opposition, uh -huh. go to the court. You have a problem as oh, a government, go to you. the court. Go to the court. But yep. before, before army gun comes by the back of the CIA and the West. Right. And they control, there was no law, there's no courts. Only one man ruled like a martial law. Mm. Thank God at this moment. But this is a clear message from Pakistan, USA Freedom Forum and the Pakistani from abroad. Army generals, you will already lost your all respect and honor as the name of Musharraf. Don't think again. Don't think again to come to as an army general, as a martial administrator. It's not a good for the future of this country, future of the youth, future of the Muslims all over the world. Thank you so much for coming on. It's bro. my pleasure. Thank you so much, comrade. It's my pleasure, sir. Thank you very much for everybody. We need help for the democratic system in Pakistan. Solidarity. No war, no occupation. Release Atrafia Siddiqui and Julian Assange. Free him. Thank and you the so Gitmo. And the Gitmo. This, this is beautiful. Thank you so much. No, but we have to say this thing. Release all African-American from U.S. jail. 1.5 million. Right. The minor crimes. Right. Put the jail people who are the 6th January who did this did with this constitution process right who was really really terrorist who tried to control the constitution process 6 january 2021 mr trump's for followers now there's the name of the judge the wife named jane i think jane she's involved hmm. supreme court judge clarence thomas wife yep that's who she, she was involved in a massacre and attack on the capital January 6th. Yep. One of the dirtiest day and blackest black day in the history of the United States. Yep. Yep. Because that, they tried to change the system, our way of life. That was the Bush said to the Taliban and the Osama bin Laden. Right. But basically they did it. On 6th of January. Right. Well, thank you so much, Comrade, for coming on. It's Let's get you on at the time. I try to talk openly, frankly, yeah. clearly, because that's a service to my adopted mother named United States. Yeah, you, you are very truth. clear, comrade. 
<laughs> you were very clear. Oh my, <laughs> you have God. definitely you taught a lot of people. Are you going to get me in trouble now? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. no, you're fine. You're fine. I'm going to move on to my next guest, and I'm going to I'm going to uh, talk to you later, okay? Thank you, sir. Yeah. Bye-bye. Peace in the world. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Solidarity. What a great guy. <laughs> uh, I like it. <laughs> How's it going, Justin? It's okay. It's going all right. How are you doing today? Very, very well. Very well. Can you hear my mic? Is it, I can is hear it all right? Can you hear me? Awesome, awesome. I just had to talk to a comrade uh, who was the second, the second, the Secretary General of Pakistan um, and USA Freedom Forum. Everyone uh, that's listening, uh, definitely check out the work that they do. They do a lot of great work in defending Pakistan and um, also defending the rights of other Pakistanis that are living here in this uh, country. So um, we, that was a great conversation. I hope it was very uh, educational for people. Um, but right now, over, I have uh, the Green Party uh, candidate for Connecticut. Um, I am a Connecticut. Let me switch this up. I put up next. Now I could just put it right here at the banner. I am a Connecticut, and I've been talking to Green Party members in North Carolina, Green Party members in uh, California, and also with Peter Gosselin here in Connecticut. And he told he told me about you, how you're running to oppose Rosa Delora. So I definitely want to get you on because um, I'm not really a fan of Rosa Delora. <laughs> so we need more, more options. <laughs> okay, yeah. Are how you, long have you been first campaign? Sorry, say again. Is this your first campaign or or second time? Well, no. So I ran in I ran in 2020. That was my first campaign and my first time running for any office really so uh mm -hmm. jamara are you uh do you live in the district is rosa your representative i live in new haven so i believe yeah she's she's definitely my representative yeah yeah, yeah. so her uh, office she, is in new haven too yeah yeah I've, I've been not in it but outside it kind of yeah uh, we put on a little demonstration for medicare for all outside her office one time Right, um, right. That's which dope. is one I of heard my, about that. Oh yeah, which is one of my main issues, and uh, I've been working with Medicare for All Connecticut, which is a fantastic organization that's been pushing for single payer health care, um, which is one of my top issues. And um, you know, uh, you know, Rosa has been my representative too for a long time. Uh, you know, I've been living in this third congressional district for a long time. I live in Guilford and, uh, you know, moved here in 2003. And since then, she's been my representative. And there's a lot of positive things uh, I would say about her in terms of, um, you know, a number of issues. But she doesn't represent me on, on a lot of things, including single payer health care. I believe in single payer health care and she's not a supporter. And that's a huge issue for me. Uh, it's right. it, it means that we give health care to every American uh, and it no longer becomes an issue of whether you can afford it. It just becomes an issue of everyone deserves it and we can afford to give it to everyone and we should be giving right. it to everyone. And not only that, but, um, you know, if this were some expensive idea, I can understand people objecting, but it actually is less expensive than our current system. 
Uh, right. So really, it's a to me, it's a moral imperative that we that we switch over to a single payer system, like so many other countries have done. And she's not on board. And uh, you know, another major issue for me is um, the uh, the military spending that we do. You know, every year right. our military budget goes up and up and up. It's going up again this year. Uh, you know, Biden just put in a request for thirty billion dollars, and Representative Deloro usually rubber stamps these uh, budget increases uh, for the Pentagon. And um, I'm not okay with that because that's a missed opportunity of money we could be spending on uh, needs for people at home. And you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, there's, um, so there's a few important issues that I really differ with her on. And, Anyway, thanks for having me on today. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you for coming on. <laughs> um, I, I was planning on having you be the first guest, but um, um, my, my uh, guest earlier, he has a lot on his plate, so I had to push him in on, on, on an earlier time. So I apologize about for the wait. Um, okay. But moving forward, um, the, the Medicare for All bill, uh, just single payer in general, um, we already have had um, a lot of research done into this on how it saves money, a lot more money than what is being dished out without single payer when it comes to insurance and medical insurance. And we are literally the only, and this is just me using air quotes for, because I see calling the term first world, third world, second world as a, some kind of a racist term, but I will use uh, the first world term for right now. We're the only first world nation that does not have single payer health care or universal health care. Every other first world nation does. And it's literally that's right. that that's that's literally the fact. <laughs> it is. And uh, it's it's not something you know, any of us can be proud of. Uh, there's a lot to be proud of in our, you know, uh, medical advances that we've made and, um, you know, uh, medicines that have been developed. But we can do all that and still um, and still have a, a healthcare system that makes sure that everyone gets healthcare. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, they say, people say, well, the world, the wealthiest country in the world and we should be able to afford to do this. And that's true. But right. I point out it's not an extra expense. It's actually a cost-saving idea. You know, we would be even wealthier as a country if we if we did this. And right. we would have everyone get the health care they, they deserve. You know, this means no longer have to worry about getting your health insurance because of your employer. This means no longer having to worry about paying your insurance premiums. This means no longer have to worry about paying co-pays. This means not having to worry about the cost of going to see a doctor when you feel a lump or you feel ill or for whatever reason, uh, because it, everything would be covered. It would be comprehensive. It would be universal. It would be taxpayer funded. And um, you wouldn't have to worry about losing it when you lose your job. Uh, it would just transform life in America. And this is a life that people in Europe are living every day and we could be right. living it here too. Um, right. So talk to those folks and, you know, ask them how they like it and they'll, they'll tell you, uh, you know, so there's a growing movement. It's getting a lot of support. Bernie did 
Sanders did a lot to popularize the idea and get people more familiar with it. Um, it wasn't always, uh, you know, welcomed by some of the pundits and people who were asking questions at the debates, but they asked misleading questions like, how are you going to pay for it? Again, yeah, you have to <laughs> the tax revenue, but it's not like it's more expensive than the current system. It's saving money. So Correct. really a better question is like, who's going to save money? Who's going to save the most money? Where, what are we going to use with the extra money we have left over after we do this? <laughs> right. Um, and when you speak, when you talk about military, when you talk about um, military, the military budget um, and what we're seeing right now, how much they're talking about spending just for Ukraine alone, um, which I have a huge problem with, of course, clearly. But it, there's always seems to be money for war. And I feel like just being, um, it's, it's our duty to continue to tell people this, working class people that don't know this because they're too busy working, worrying about, you know, what's important to them, living, like raising their kids um, and all this stuff. We have to keep reminding them, like, look, you, we can take off the burden, like, even if it's just healthcare, we could take off such a huge burden for these families. We just got to keep telling them, like, look, they're making, they got all this money for military, but they don't want to put all this money in for anything that helps build uh, a better life here. Why is there always money for military? <laughs> yeah, why, why is there always money for war? There's always money for war. And, um, right. well, you know, it could have something to do with, uh, you know, the war industry has better lobbyists than your average, average citizen who's just getting by, you know, the average person isn't, who's struggling to make ends meet, doesn't have time to, or or the money to, to send a lobbyist to Washington, D.C. Uh, to lobby right. for Pentagon dollars. But Congress is surrounded by lobbyists who are asking for Pentagon dollars for trying to divide up the pie. I mean, I think we know that it's the reason, right? It's the influence of money in our system. Um, and, uh, you know, we have military contractors here in Connecticut. Um, my own father used to work mm -hmm. for Korsky. I understand what it is to, you know, he was an aeronautical engineer. He helped them with the helicopter blade design. So, you know, I understand what it is to, to want to, um, you know, to, the, the people who are, who are employed by such industries, but, you know, they, they, they might be worried about losing their positions, but, you know, we can keep people employed in different industries that use similar skills, like, you know, my dad could have been designing a, a windmill uh, propeller, you know, like uh, wind turbine propellers um, instead of helicopter propellers. I mean, we're still gonna need helicopters, um, but you know what I'm saying? We, it's a matter of priority. You know, we need clean energy. Um, do we really need three quarters of a trillion dollars of weaponry every year, right. you know, spending more than the rest of the world combined on weapons of war. Um, you know, it's, I think the answer is clear and, and that's just a major uh, point of view difference that I, it's a, that I have with Representative Delora. And I think a lot of people see it the way you and I do, which is that we're, we're wasting this money. I mean, we're, we're spending this money in, in a bad way. And, um, you know, Representative Delora, she had a she had a child tax credit. That was a positive thing, right? right. Um, she had she really pushed for this child tax credit, 
and it helped a lot of people raise a lot of kids out of poverty because now you know if you have a child you get this tax credit um we got mm -hmm. we got we we got the checks ourselves and we're not living in poverty but we still got the checks i think they could just send the checks to people below a certain income level but we got them anyway right but, but anyway you know now that program's expired because the government says, oh, we can't afford to keep on doing that anymore. But we have no problem spending $800 billion on the Pentagon. Uh, you know, they also let the, um, the COVID program lapse, right? They, there was $30 billion yep. that was going to be in the latest bill um, for uh, COVID testing and, you know, that's that was out. Oh, we don't have that thirty billion dollars, but we have eight hundred billion dollars for the Pentagon. So again and again, eight hundred billion. Yeah, it's pushing eight hundred billion. Last year it was three quarters of a trillion. It was like seven hundred and seventy-five billion, and we'll see what it ends up being after they're done negotiating. Usually, Congress gives the president more than they ask for. The president asks for a certain amount. And Congress right. usually comes back and says, no, here, take more. Because, because Congress, you know, maybe their voters like this, but for sure a lot of their donors like this. Because, you know, Raytheon right. is is a top – is, she is – they are one of the donors to um, to Representative DeLauro. And, you know, the, um, or at least employees of Raytheon. So I um, – By the way, Raytheon is also um, – funding republicans as well too just as much as democrats oh yeah oh yeah look i mean i was a democrat most of my life and i looked at what was going on and i saw a lot of money going to the republican side and i saw the republicans making a lot of business friendly legislation and i and mm -hmm. i thought well i guess the democrats are the party of the people and the republicans are the party that's business friendly and I'm, I want to be a friend of the people, so I'm going to vote Democratic. And that's how right. I thought about politics most of my life and didn't put a lot of thought into it until I, I read Listen Liberal by um, Thomas Frank. Did you ever read mm. that one? But there's a lot of ways you can I'm familiar with out. Thomas Frank, but I haven't read that yet. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can kind of, when you dig into it, you learn. And a lot of people are learning this all the time. That there's corruption right. in the Democratic Party, just like there is in the Republican Party. They are not the. Um, you can't take them at their word. They have. They are dependent on big campaign contributions to keep their big campaigns going, and they are afraid of losing donors if they if they enact certain policies that are going to make their donors unhappy. Because those do those dollars will go right back to the Republicans. And these big donors. Now, this is actually fact. Hmm? This is actually this is absolutely facts, Justin. What you're saying because well, um, it's hard it's hard to just get people to stop trusting in the Democrats. Um, this is something that I have conversations with a lot. A lot of friends of mine begin to argument sometimes, or they look at me like, "What is wrong with you?" or something like that. Um, but you literally, it's they only know what they see on tv and they talk a really good game on tv but they don't do half not i would say they they don't even do 80 percent of the things that they do i mean you have biden before he before he was even elected he came on oh we're going to do this for trans people we're going to do this 
for the black community. Or he even said he was even emboldened because he already knew that he was entitled to their votes. He literally said that you're not black if you don't vote for me. This is the this is the Democratic Party here. <laughs> this is how this is the spirit yeah. of the Democratic Party. <laughs> yeah. Look, I understand why people put their hope in the Democratic Party because I did that many years. So I understand the mindset. And a lot of it is, right. I think, coming from the idea that there, you're only going to get two options, right? You look at American, you kind of grow up in right. this. It's kind of like um, right. you grow up in a two-party system and you think in a two-party mindset, right? It's kind of like the fish that grows up in water and somebody, you know, you know, Somebody asked him, you know, like, what is it? You know, the water's kind of hot today and the fish is like, what's water? I can't remember the story, but it's something like, you know, <laughs> when you grow up with something, you're so used to it. You don't even think about that. There's other possibilities like, you know, um, with ranked choice right. voting, we could have a multi-party democracy like they have in Europe um, with parliamentary system. But we could adapt our system with ranked choice voting. We could get a multi-party democracy. Oh, am I still on? Oh, there I am. Yeah, you're um, still on. Yeah, I'm trying and then, to remove my video so I can fix the camera. <laughs> Sorry about that. Because oh, yeah. in a two-party system, you look at your two options and you say, and you pick which one is better, right? And, and for a lot of people, and for me, most of my life, I looked at the Republican option and it was not appealing. I saw, you know, um, social policy that was backward thinking and I saw business-friendly policy. And I said, well, clearly that's not the party for me. I'm interested in helping people. I'm interested in protecting the environment. And uh, so, you know, it's a no-brainer. I'll, I'll just be a Democrat. But that's, and that's the way you think if you, if you think in terms of, well, there's only two options. And unfortunately, our system is set up to really keep us from pick, keep us confined and picking between those two options. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, work the Democrats do to keep Green Party people off the ballot or third parties in general. I yep. believe you have an association yep. with the uh, Socialism and Liberation Party. Is that right? Yes, I do. Um, I've been a, I've been a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation for about six years now, and I've had worked with uh, Peter Goslin on his campaign uh, with the Green Party, and I've I've seen the bullshit. Um, that they have done to you guys. Um, would you like to share what they have done on your campaign? Um, if there, if there's anything that comes out. Well, you know, I I was able to make it onto the ballot. I don't have any major gripes or complaints for me personally, but I know the Democrats have done some very dirty things. Like um, I think it was in mm -hmm. Idaho where they sued. They. they People went out and did all this work to get Greens on the ballot, and that's a lot of work, like collecting signatures. You got to go door to door. It's a lot of work. And Democrats came back and went back to all those addresses and said, "Are you sure you want to keep your name on this petition? You could, we could take your name off and they give you some reason." So they they have the money to do that kind of thing, and they got people taken off the ballot. And in New York now, right. They are tripling the number of signatures required to get somebody on the ballot. I learned how much work it is to get a third party name on the ballot, to get my own name on the ballot. I learned it's a lot right. of work. 
it's a lot of hours. Right. I mean, you can get maybe 10 to 15 names an hour. And so when you need, you know, on a signature, on a petition, and when you figure I needed 2,000 signatures, you start to think about how many hours that is. And in New York, they're right, tripling right. it, I think, from, from 15,000 to 45,000 signatures. I mean, it's something really crazy. Um, the Green right. Party's well, well, two, right now. Sorry. Oh, no, continue. I, I was going to give two examples after. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Continue. Yeah, like Matt Ho right now, there's a candidate for Senate who's trying to get on the ballot in North Carolina, Green Party guy, Matt Ho. He's a great candidate. Yeah, I spoke to him. Oh, wonderful. I spoke to him on the phone and, um, you know, I'm rooting for him. He's got, he's, he's got to get a lot of signatures and it's really a high barrier. So that's just one way right. that the, the two major parties work uh, to really suppress third parties. And they talk about wanting democracy and wanting, you know, people to be able to vote and getting to elect their government. And, and okay, they're in favor of some reforms, the Democrats are, you know, that would help that. But talk about helping people to vote third party, and they're not, they're not supporting that. And Howie Hawkins, who is our presidential candidate, you know, 2020, likes to say, party suppression is a form of voter suppression. If you're not giving right. people the chance to vote for the party they want, that's a way of suppressing people's vote. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, the Democrats, the Democrats have been doing this in so many slick ways and they get away with it because it doesn't get as mainstreamed whenever they find out the Republican Party is doing the same thing when it comes to voter suppression. Um, mm -hmm. For the PSL, I know our branch in New York, we, uh, we had Kathy Rojas, who was a great, a great organizer. She's Colombian. Um, she ran for mayor and she got all the signatures that she needed. Um, she actually got the most votes for a third party, and she was able to accomplish that just being a grassroots base, but she was never invited on any uh, debate stage. She was never invited to be a part of any type of, like, Republican versus Democratic function. She was always, like, just put to the side. Same thing would happen with Peter Gosling. But Peter Gosling was able to convince William Tong, who was who was a Democratic candidate at the time for Attorney General, uh, for District Attorney General, um, to debate him at UConn. And that was the only debate that he was able really to get in. Um, and, for, and then another huge example, the biggest example that just shows you how screwed up is what happened to Dr. Jill Stein. Dr. Jill Stein ran for president it's, and she was she, she ran for president on the Green Party ticket, and she had such a great platform, and they did her so filth. They were not even done with her after that. They called her a Russian bot. Hillary Clinton said that she was an agent for Russia. <laughs> like, the Democrats do not play fair at all. Yeah, and they're suing, and they're suing her now. To get back the money she won, as a, 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 she qualified for money for you know public campaign finance, and now they're and and she spent the money on her campaign, and now they're saying, oh, you didn't quite follow the rules. We're suing you now. You have to pay all that money back out of your personal um, personal funds. Can you imagine? It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're yeah. suing her now 
to try and get back. So, yes. So the Democrats and, and the, you know, it's really the Democrats because the Republicans, maybe, maybe they say Green Party is a spoiler. Maybe the Republicans are fighting the libertarians. I don't know, to keep them off the ballot. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But I like to point out that it's not just these kind of dirty tricks. I mean, these things are important. But there's an there's an overlooked factor why we don't have stronger third parties in our country, and right. that's plurality voting. It's the fact that we only pick one name on the ballot, and you just um, it leads to vote splitting. It leads to the spoiler effect. It leads to the problem of having you know if you've got three good candidates in a race, and they're all polling kind of equally it becomes kind of a crapshoot who's going to win, right? It comes down to very small uh, changes in support level. And over time, people don't like that. People don't enjoy that um, that kind of system. So that's things naturally get weaned down to two parties because people don't, you know, people don't want to vote for a party that's going to, like upset the balance between the other two parties if they have a preference. So it's really our, it's really is our voting system that causes us to be a two party democracy, which is why if we really want to end right. it, if we really want to end the two party system, there is a simple solution. And it is, what and I, be? I believe, I believe that it is ranked choice voting and they have it in Maine. Now they have adopted it in Alaska they use it in over 50 municipalities. It's been endorsed by, um, you know, I think from Barack Obama, John McCain, the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, um, a lot of uh, the New York Times, the, a lot of academics and politicians and all kinds of people across the political spectrum who endorse ranked choice voting. And for anyone who doesn't know, it means you rank your choices on the ballot one, two, three and so on. And if your first choice candidate comes in last, your vote goes to your second choice. So I just, mm -hmm. if you just indulge me, I don't know if any listeners haven't heard uh, the way the system works, but for example, uh, I yeah, live definitely in Florida. Explain for the listeners. Yeah. For example, I live in Florida. It's, it's the year 2000. There's, there's uh, Ralph Nader, Al Gore and George Bush running for president. I like Ralph Nader, but I'm worried that uh, I don't, and I and Al Gore is not my favorite, but I like him better than George W. Bush. At least Al Gore believes in global warming. Maybe he'll, maybe some progress will come. I don't know, but I think he's going to be better than George W. Bush. But I'm afraid of George W. Bush because he's, he's, <laughs> you know, he's an oil baron. He's the son of this um, oil family, and I don't trust him any farther than I can throw him. And I really don't think he should be in the White House. I mean, that that turned out to be true. I really, <laughs> but Al Gore probably would have had a lot of problems too, but maybe he would have been a little bit better. The point is people have preferences, right? Right, things, right. Things aren't all or nothing. I mean, there are, there are degrees of evil, like we say, lesser evil voting, you know, um, but so Florida 2000, I would have gone to my ballot. I would have said first choice, Ralph Nader, second choice, Al Gore. And then I probably would have left it at that. And when Ralph Nader came in third, my vote, they would have looked at my ballot and said, well, 
His his vote for Ralph Nader is canceled, but it now is. Let's see if he indicated a second choice. He did. Okay, now his vote goes to Al Gore, and there were enough Nader voters who probably would have ranked Al Gore second that it, that would have tipped the election. And what it also does, it allows you to vote for your first choice without fear. Probably a lot more people would have voted third party. Um, you know, if they if they knew that they could have that safety net of backing it up with a second uh, second choice vote, and this what this is right. what I, the power of ranked choice voting could really just end the stigma against third parties and let us start standing up and aligning ourselves with political parties that match our real values instead of just lining up with the one party that stands in opposition to the party we hate more. I agree. I agree. Yeah, ranked choice vote. Did they try to use that? They try to use that for um, the last election, right? In certain places, but it didn't. It didn't fall through. So, ranked choice voting. Uh, they're using it now in Maine, and actually, they passed mm-hmm. it. Um, I think twenty eighteen. They used it, or maybe twenty sixteen, and I think they used it in twenty eighteen for a congressional election. That was a multi-person mm-hmm. uh, race, and um, it, it, it got used. So, you know, there were, there were multiple candidates, but after the first round, they looked at all the first choice votes and one person came in last and that person was eliminated. And all the people who voted for that person as their first choice, their votes went to their second choice. And that ended up determining who won and got a seat in Congress. Um, so it's being used already for federal elections. And of course there were suits after the fact, but it got, upheld so it is legal it's being used in 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 maine and um, they're going to use it in alaska this year for the first time because i think it passed in 2020 in alaska if i'm not mistaken that's really good because right now like our democracy is a debacle and now there's reports coming out of what happened in the last election with biden how a lot of black votes weren't counted um how there were a lot more other votes for Trump and all this stuff. Well, I'm just hearing all these new, all this new information, and I'm and it's telling me that what I don't even actually one thing I I don't actually know what to believe because you heard Donald Trump saying for for a while after the election happened that he was played that the Democrats have uh, stole the election and that was part of the reason of you know him getting all these January Sixers to get crazy and storm the Capitol with their insane rhetorics and racism and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and then you hear about his election as well, too, where they say that maybe the Republicans have stolen their election. There's a, it is, it's, it's a point the fingers at each other type of race. And then they also said the Russians helped steal the election that year as well, too. So uh, ranked choice voting, I feel like, I mean, first of all, at this point, I'm like, it, nothing should be electronic at all right do not make anything electronic right. um ranked choice voting yes and i feel like we'll have a more transparent um election something like how a bolivia election was proven to be transparent how mm-hmm. how we are a leading nation in the world and we can't have a transparent election but poor countries can <laughs> like yeah you know remember <laughs> 
I, you watch, you think, oh, we're the we're supposed to be a shining beacon of democracy, and then on election day, you see these lines that are like three hours long, four exactly. hours long, people waiting to vote. It's a crime, you know. Voting should not right. be that hard. That's denying people, uh, you know, what should be a constitutional right. Unfortunately, it's not in the constitution that you have a right to vote, um, which is why. People who want to suppress that vote have been able to, you know, get away with um, a lot of bad things o over the years, like poll taxes. And I mean, of, of mm -hmm. course, originally there was slavery and, the, and, and, that, and, and slaves, of course, weren't allowed to vote. But even much later, um, we still have, you know, uh, no constitutional right to vote, which wouldn't be a bad thing to add to our Constitution because it would, it would give people a legal grounds to sue for a lot of the shenanigans and, and bad things that happen, you have um, people, uh, secretaries of state that are probably partisan who will decrease the number of voting machines in the districts where they don't want to see a lot of votes. And these things keep happening right. in the 21st century. Um, it's, it's really disgraceful. So yeah, we need a lot of electoral reforms, not just um, ranked choice voting is the one I like to talk about because I'm really optimistic about its potential to change our country for the better. And But in general, right. one of a, a bunch of reforms that we need to make people, to make our democracy plausible so that people can believe in it. You know, a lot of people don't even believe that their vote is counted. They don't even believe that it matters if you vote or not. Right. You know, a third of people who are eligible to vote don't even bother. They're like, I don't know, right? right? They don't even think it's worth their time. Or maybe they're having trouble making it to vote because of, of scheduling conflicts. That's a legitimate problem too. You know, election day should be a right. holiday where everybody gets the day off and is free to go vote. And it shouldn't be that hard. So yeah, paper ballots, that's very important because you need a transparent system that can be audited and audited in a public way so that people can see, okay, here's the, the votes. Okay, we're going to run these votes again through the machine again. Oh, we got the same answer. You know, so there needs to be a lot of, um, you know, the sec Secretary of State is an important position. Uh, and we'll see who, you know, we're hoping the Green Party is going to be able to run a candidate. But these are the values that we need to, we need in a Secretary of State is nonpartisanship, transparency, um, making voting easy and accessible and um, and and ranked choice voting I think has got to be um, on everyone's lips uh, as a as a must-have reform I really would like to see mm -hmm. see it come to Connecticut and 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 nationwide yeah uh, pivoting pivoting over to a different part of the conversation I wanted to also uh, talk about a few things that are happening overseas uh, because those are also things they they do up there. Um, so <laughs> at a very insane level. Um, back to the military spending. Do you feel like do we even need military spending at this point? I mean, we have over nine hundred bases. Um, I mean, when I say military spending at this point, like, do we need to be spending the money that we're spending right now in the military? I get that we need a military, but what I guess my question is like, what is a modest way? that military spending should be. For instance, China has the biggest army, but they spend less. 
like how can we fix that we have over 900 bases like should those bases get shut down like how, how would you feel like let's say you you get elected so when you get elected when you are in office your first day and when we tackle the military budget uh, what what can you say to try to sway your democratic and uh, your democrat and republican uh counterparts <laughs> well you know of course i can try and and sway them i mean i mean if when you're elected if i were elected i would have the power of of a public uh you know microphone to try and shame them or you know into saying look why should we be spending the money on this when we could be spending it on people's um you know direct needs we could let's bring back the child tax credit that was a good program let's cut let's cut you know shave you know 10 percent the the budget is so huge that even cutting mm -hmm. it 10% frees up so much money it's incredible the amount of of things you could do just by cutting it 10% i think we could cut it up 50% easily it's so overblown at this I point do too but if you if you just say it's 800 billion dollars a year you know that's not over 10 years or anything that's per year um then you know 10% of that would be 80 billion dollars um which would be enough for universal pre-k and uh you know universal public college um and uh and and it would be enough to end homelessness and hunger so there was a there was a pocan the mark pocan amendment back in 2020 or 2019 um, somebody suggested doing this. Let's cut the military budget by 10%. Just 10%. And Representative Delora voted against that amendment. The POCAN is the P-O-C-A-N, the POCAN amendment, if anyone wants to look it up. And, um, but here we are again. The, the, the Pentagon budget keeps on increasing. Um, so what yeah. could I say to them? I don't know if I'm going to... all. You know what works on politicians more than persuasion to me? What, what works is pressure. What works is elect is is showing is 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 threatening their job, is is trying to threaten mm. them to get fewer votes. I mean, this is a problem with a lot of the left in general. With the, you know, I consider myself a leftist, a progressive, a, with the movement of the left for people, planet, and peace. And if you tell Democrats you're going to vote for them, you've lost all your leverage right away, you know, because they can, right. if, if they know that they're, they're going to get your vote because they're a little bit better than they're because they're better than Republicans, they don't need to come all the way to you. They don't come, need to come and meet all your demands. They, they really don't because they can take your votes for granted. And, uh, that's the problem with the two party system is that it doesn't leave there's no, it's, it's a limited playing field. There's no where to go. There's nowhere right. for you to go. That's your political home. There's no way to threaten these people, uh, with, uh, voting for someone else. If you're too scared to vote for what you really want, if you're too scared to vote for the green party or the party of social socialism and liberation or socialist alternative or whatever, if, if you're afraid to vote third party, they know that, and they've got you where where they want you. Um, so, 
if I were in Congress, what could I do? You know, I could encourage people to, I could point out what these people are doing and encourage their voters to vote for, to vote for what they really want. You know, that's my message to voters everywhere. You know, vote. I, I heard Howie Hawkins say again, you know, if you don't vote for something, you'll never get it. And that was kind of like, woke me up a little too, because I thought, you know, if I don't vote for Medicare for all, how am I ever going to get it? If I don't, if I keep voting for the Democrat who supports Rosa, who supports, you know, a public, uh, public component mixed with private, it's not going to do anything to really bring down the cost of health care. Um, I have the doubts it could really work as a coherent system. We need to really transition to a single payer efficient system where the government's paying everyone's bills. If I don't vote for that, how am I ever going to get it? I can try and convince, what am I going to try to convince Rosa? People have been trying for 30 years to convince her to support single payer. Nothing's going to, she's not going to change her mind. The only way to change what we're getting is to be willing to vote for it. You have to be willing to say, well, this person doesn't support Medicare for all. Well, then I'm not going to vote for them. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to vote for what I want. And and we have a system that discourages people from doing that. And that's why a lot of people, I think, are turned off from de democracy. They don't, our democracy, turned off from our system. I mean, I love democracy could be so much better if we had a system where you get to go to the ballot and express your real preferences. And I think we'd see a lot. We'd have a more representative democracy. It'd be more fun to go vote. <laughs> you know, you mm -hmm. get to go and okay. um, and really express your preferences. So that's what I hope to see. Yeah, um, when I when when um, when people found out that uh, the people that pay attention to my podcast because I only have like a few hundred people, so the few hundred people, out of the few hundred people, a few of them that live in Connecticut that know about your campaign. Um, a few of them messaged me and they were asking questions about um, Palestine and Israel. Um, and they want to know what is your stance? Uh, this is one of the questions that I have from the, the audience. What is your stance on Palestine and Israel? Okay. Yeah, well, <clears throat> um, I, I learned about, I had a friend um, in college who, who had lived in Israel. And I, and I learned a lot about the history of that um, conflict from him. But I came to a different conclusion than he did um, from the from the history. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's hard to get Americans to understand what's going on there, because we don't really get educated very much about it. We don't really get, uh, you have to dig for it. You have to really, um, and we and we don't get both sides of the story. We don't really hear the side of the story from the Palestinians. Um, but here's, you know, here's the truth. The truth is that um, since 1967, when there was a war, um, Israel has been occupying uh, the West Bank, which is the section on the east side of Israel. And that's all also when they were, and since then, they were occupying Gaza. Now, Gaza, there's a little different story with Gaza versus the West Bank. But they've been occupying it with their military. And so, you know, Israeli tanks, it's military rule. 
and there's millions of people in this in this territory and so if if you believe in democracy if you believe in self-determination you have to say that it's your goal that these people should be able to have democracy these are these are people who um deserve democracy just as much as you and me and um for whatever uh you know for whatever positives you may say about israel as being uh, a safe haven for the jewish people uh who have been persecuted you have to you have to say well um if you believe in justice for everybody you have to look at the situation of the palestinian people and say this is not a sustainable situation it's not justice to have people go for 50 years and and there's been no progress towards them being able to get self-determination to be able to live in a democracy and i don't i think a lot of people don't really understand don't aren't familiar with the details of what's going on over there because they'll say well israel is a democracy well yeah it's a democracy for the for the territory within <laughs> israel but it's not yeah. a democracy over here <laughs> it's not a democracy those people don't have yeah. a vote they don't have a government and you know without getting right. the, the the finer details but you know it is it it is a situation that is just not sustainable and and mean you know and it, it's been going on so long for 50 years um that i just you know <laughs> I, i i i try not to be pessimistic you know but I think it would help if more people would understand this. It would help if people more people would understand that there is an unjust situation going on that we need to find a resolution where everyone can have right to self-determination. And a lot of people are leaning now towards saying, well maybe that means a one-party solution where just everyone in this country is is an equal person with equal rights. and it's one country and you know i like that model because um that's the model we have here in america we have separation of church and state everyone has a right to to vote it doesn't matter your religion i think there's the founding fathers there was a lot of wisdom when they decided we're going to set up our constitution this way um israel had their motivations and their reasonings for wanting wanting to be a Jewish state or wanting to have a religious um a preferred religion associated with the government but I, my my feeling is generally it just doesn't work you know like i understand their motivations i mean at the time but it, my feeling is it doesn't work it, it because over mm. time you need to protect the, the the government needs to protect everyone in a state equally and and not favor one religion over another it's it's a principle that's worked very well for the united states and i believe in that principle i grew up believing in that principle and i think that um you can't apply it selectively and say that it it makes sense here but it doesn't make sense there if it makes sense here it makes sense there um that the, that a state should be secular a state should not and and so a one party solution 
where everyone in the country has equal rights. Um, I think it, because, you know, the two-party solution rested on having territory that would be, this would be Palestine and this would be Israel. But if you look at what's happened on the ground for the last 50 years, is that Israel's been building settlements and settlements and settlements um, within the West Bank. So unless they plan to make all those people citizens of Palestine, um, I don't see, there's no geographical two-party, two-state solution anymore that makes sense geographically right. that, I, that I see. If you look at a map. Right. So um, I want to see peace in the Middle East. I think that um, I think that that uh, I I I do. My feeling is that a one-state solution where everyone has equal rights is going to get us there. And yes, you have to. And that could be either as Palestine or either under as Israel, but a one-state solution. Yeah, I don't know. Call it um, Israelistine or something. I don't have a name for it, but yeah. Well, you know, before the Zionists came in, it was Palestine and Jewish people, Palestinian people and Muslim identifying people and Christians were living together, you know? Um, yeah. And I don't see, I, I don't see, I, what my issue is, is that why can't we go back to that? And it just shows the, the, the Zionist element that just needs to, and I, I say Zionism, when I say Zionism, I'm talking about um, far-right, colonial, idealistic views that say they are Jewish. I'm not talking about the Jewish faith. I'm talking right. about Zionists. Um, yeah. I feel like Zionism is different from Judaism, which a lot of Jewish people have also told me as well, too. So it doesn't make me lead astray. Um, but well, look, I have so many friends that are Palestinian. I used to work for Palestinians, you know? Um, and it's really such a, I, my heart really goes out to them, um, and, and stuff like that. And I guess somebody, so a few people have heard you speak before. I don't know where at or if any other meeting. And I guess, um, a few of them wanted me to ask you because I, they wanted clarification on what your stance was for, for Israel and Palestine. That's why I asked the question. Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, um, I really, the question was asked at the debate. I got to be in a debate, you know, with Rosa DeLauro and Margaret Stryker. And um, it was okay. at the JCC. Um, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, it's, it's such, it's such a difficult issue because I mean, it's there, there's been a lot of bloodshed. There's been a lot of misery. Um, you know, I think we're inheriting a situation that was not well planned and established from the beginning. And like you said, the, the, the area used to be a lot more peaceful. Um, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, what, what the Jewish people suffered in, in World War II is unfathomable. And I can understand yeah. like there being some motivation to create a safe haven for Jewish people. Like, I can understand my, you know, I can understand if your people are are, are, yeah. are persecuted and being slaughtered. Like I can understand that you, you want security and, it, and, and you can 
it can make sense to want to have uh, a state where you're going to have your own army and you're going to be safe, right? I can understand that. But the problem logistically was where do you put it? And 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 the, the place they found, they wanted to put it, the, there were already people living there. And um, right. that's what's created all the all the problems um, because they right. didn't want all the people living there who weren't Jewish to be part of the new, the new state. And right. that, that, that's where the problem with mixing religion and, and state come in. Um, you know, for a long time, I did think a two state solution was maybe going to happen and everyone could, it would be a win win and we could have mm -hmm. Jewish, Jewish state and a Palestinian state and, Maybe you know, I that the, the the Israeli government hasn't really been pushing towards that. Um, all I, all I see them is giving it lip service and and building more settlements, which the UN keeps condemning. Yeah, you know, honestly, yeah. I want I want Non-stop. Yeah, I want the UN keeps condemning it. I I want peace. I want people to have their rights of self determination. Um, there was a for a long time. I hoped that that could coexist with uh, with Israel being a, a a Jewish state because there's a lot of people who want to want to see that. Although I always had my reservations about mixing state with religion, but you know, I was hoping for some kind of win-win situation that would make everybody happy. It's not working out that way, um, and this right. and there's so much suffering that's going on right now in Palestine that people don't. A lot of people are not in touch with, um, and it's and and you know, and then it flares up every few years. You know, every five years, there's there's violence that flares up, and people and people react and say, "Oh, where did this come from?" And um, oh, we have to stand with Israel. And look, I mean, we have we should be addressing this situation right now. You know, like between episodes of violence, we. They should be pushing for um, for the people of Palestine to have have representation, to have self determination, to have democracy. Right. Until that happens, until that happens, there will never uh, this will go on and on. This conflict will go on and on and on. Well, it it, it what, what I'm hearing here is that there's there is a, a, a huge example of you uh, evolving within this stance. Yeah, a huge example of you looking at everything that's on the table within this stance. Um, is this the same way you have approached how... Uh, actually, you're a doctor, right? I have, a, I have an MD and I have, have a PhD. I have an MD, I got in my MD. I did two years of clinical pathology residency at Yale, which is why I'm in the area. Mm -hmm. And then I did a PhD in, in investigative medicine. My thesis was on virology, oncolytic viruses. And I did mm -hmm. five years of that. Then I did 10 years of postdocing, which is just like research in a lab at Yale. And um, so I haven't spent a lot of time, you know, actually treating patients. And then I I retired from science and medicine, and I focus on music and politics. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, I have a medical a medical background. 
Um, so were you always so my my reason why I asked because was you always pro single payer healthcare um while you were practicing? Um, or was this also an evolved stance as well, too? That you know, it's funny, I evolved on that too. Um it's kind mm -hmm. of like it's it's kind of in a similar way, it's once I learned what was possible, I understand, you know, I I always had aspirations for, you know, what's, you know, what I would like to see. But until you learn, hey, there's a way we could actually do this and make this possible. It's hard to really get your hopes up that it could actually happen. I, you know, I thought um, our system just sometimes it seems so entrenched, like things, the, the private insurance system seems so entrenched. It seems so dug in and um, this, the structures, everything built up around it. Um, that how could we ever, how could we ever change? And, um, you know, uh, I remember when I was, uh, when I was uh, working at Yale, there was a table for uh, students for a national health program or which was, a, it was just, associated with physicians for a national health program, which I'm a member of here in Connecticut. And they were talking about single payer healthcare. And I was asking mm -hmm. them questions like, well, like, could, could this really happen? Do you think it's possible? So, you know, my attitude is I'm always open to, to learning and that, you know, I, I'm on a journey like everybody else. I'm learning every day and I'm always looking for the best possible solution. And, um, but, you know, I, I have fundamental values of fairness. You know, I want people right. to, to, um, be, uh, you know, I think people have fundamental rights. Um, I think that includes, you know, the right to, uh, a safe, healthy environment opportunity to work or, or, and, and I think, you know, I think in our, in our country, we can make housing and food are right because we can afford to do that. It's not mm -hmm. that expensive. And, you know, what, what you get as rights kind of depends on what the government says it's going to give you. And we decide that we get to decide that it's a democracy. So we can make right. healthcare. We can make healthcare a right in this country. We can make food and housing a, a right. We can keep people um, from having to live in, in, uh, on the streets and, um, and being homeless. Uh, you know, we, right. that, that's actually very inexpensive, very inexpensive problem to solve. But again, the homeless don't have a great lobby, right? They're not spending billions, millions on lobbyists like the defense industry, but it would actually be mm -hmm. a drop in the bucket, uh, to, to house the homeless in terms of our budget. Yeah. And, and this is where I'm going with, um, I, I we're going to wrap up soon because I only do this show for an hour. So <laughs> um, that's what I'm getting from you, that you're someone that that has no problem with talking to people and having a discussion and learning off of what information you get from them. Also, giving, giving them information that you have as well, too. Um, so that automatically would would you compare to Rosa Delora? She she doesn't give me that type of vibe, and I've spoken to her a few times. I've never had that type of like understanding. You know what I'm saying? And we 
we need people in Washington like that because there's not that many, you know? I mean, maybe you have the squad and all that, and they're giving Ocasio-Cortez shit as she should be giving shit for, for not being around when Amazon and Staten Island has unionized and been fighting to unionize. And it's just Good news. That's a whole lot of, yeah, great news. Uh, yeah. Great news. And it's just so, it's like, what happened to the listening? What happened to being connected with your district? Um, I I can't think of any time I see her around with any big thing that's going on. Um, the CRB was a very big thing. Um, when that bill got passed in New Haven, we literally were the first state, the first city in Connecticut to pass a civilian review, review board to hold cops accountable. And you, you think that would be something that uh, we'll get uh, some type of respect from from Washington with with our reps, but no one, no one, no one in the Democratic Party. And I love I love a few of them now. Our Senate's in the um in, in Hartford. I love a few of them, but no one was around, and that would have helped so much more. Um, is that something that you can that 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 you can do? Uh, would you be able to do that with with, with your constituents when you win? Let's talk about when you win. <laughs> what? Would I be able to what to to come out and I mean I mean I see myself as hey, don't uh, forget about us. <laughs> look, I, look, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm doing this as an activist, right? Like I never had mm -hmm. the ambition to hold office, um, you know. But I, I've always been the I've been gone to the marches, the climate marches, and the peace marches, and you know I was out there with Black Lives Matter, and um, you know I. I consider myself an, an activist, and this is a way running for office. I realized was a way I could get my voice heard more, and I also realized that the whole the whole left is pinning pinning their hopes on the Democratic Party. That's not working as a as, as a strategy for the movement. You know, we're not getting peace from the Democratic Party. Um, we're not going to get. Right. Drastic, dramatic environmental change from the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, we, you know, we're we're just not because we are um, taken for granted. Um, we are, you know, you know, our votes are. They know we're gonna. They're we're gonna. If, as long as they know, they're gonna get our votes. They don't have to capitulate to these demands that they know are gonna hurt their fundraising. Um, and they are raking in the money from from donors. I mean, it is big business. I mean, they have, you know, Ro you know, Rosa raised over a million dollars for the campaign uh, in 2020. She didn't really need hardly any of it. Um, but you know, yep. it costs so much money to compete in uh, right. on on that playing field, and third parties just never going to have that kind of, I mean, it doesn't, I hope someday, but I, I, I want to see public campaign finance, right? I want to see that all candidates are put on an even playing field. We all get the same amount of airtime. We all get the same amount of money and it's publicly funded. And this is an investment in our democracy. And uh, instead of, you know, those with the deepest pockets get to, to the loudest voices, um, you know, that's something I've wanted to see for a long time. Uh, but we need to end the two party, the two party system. It's not working for for these movements, um, for the peace, because 
we have to be willing to take away our, our vote somewhere else. You know, Biden was in a supporter of the Iraq war. The Iraq war, you know, I, I, I was so tragic to see this unfolding in real time, to see this catastrophic decision being made to go to war when I knew this was just an immoral thing that was about to happen and the violence that was about to be unleashed. And I, we went out in the streets and marched for it. But then the same movement, we're asking them to vote for Joe Biden because, you know, he's not Donald Trump. Joe Biden right. was a cheerleader for the Iraq war. So until the peace movement is going to stand up behind someone electorally who really represents their values, um, they're not going to they're not going to see you're not going to see your goals represented because you're not voting for them. You're not voting for the people who represent your values. You're voting for the people who you don't represent your values. <laughs> you know, you're not. Gonna, so, so to make all that work, you need multi-party democracy and to make get multi-party democracy, you need ranked choice voting. Right. And also, also just with Joe Biden, his, his son, Hunter Biden is on the board for the oil, one of the big oil companies in Ukraine. Um, so that should sound people alarms of why he's, instead of trying to talk about peace, he's more about being more, more war hawkish towards a country that has nuclear power, just like we do. No talks about peace, just talks about escalation. It could There's be because so of the money him and his son is getting. <laughs> Honestly, you know, all about oil. <laughs> yeah. So much of our foreign policy is driven by fossil fuels, natural gas, where the pipelines go, um, making sure we have kind of, you know, um, a military uh, basis to support, to protect um, our the, the fossil fuel infrastructure. It's a it's a huge, um, you know, it's 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 horrible for peace. It's horrible for for security um i mean it's it just destabilizes the world and the people who end up suffering are just the average person who's not involved in any of these decisions these are global powers making decisions about where we're going to get our energy where we're going to get our oil and that's right. what's driving so much of our foreign policy why are we sanctioning venezuela because they don't want to um they want to keep their oil as a as a public good they don't want to play ball with the private oil industry who wants to come in like like we wanted to with iraq you know it's um uh, where was i going with this you know so we need you know we need renewable energy we need wind we need solar we need to completely get off of fossil fuels i mean even george w bush said we're addicted to oil and he understood that it's a problem it's a huge huge problem Oil has packed so much energy into a little package and, um, you know, it makes life easier, but it creates so many problems. We have to get, we have to change our, our, our way of living. And, you know, I'd like to see us sustain our quality of life or improve our quality of life. But, um, but the, the, the collateral damage caused by oil in terms of war and, but, and also as is happening with climate change, is just not not worth it, and so it's just sad to see that we're not pushing harder right now for clean energy. That you know that it couldn't we couldn't get it in um, 
anything serious out of Congress in terms of clean energy. It's been, right. I've been, you know, we progressives who've been wanting to see this happen for so long, um, it's very frustrating. Uh, you know, it's been decades and the, and it just feels like time short and the water's rising. As my mother used to say, that was one of her favorite phrases, but it's, and that's what's happening literally is we're running out of time and the sea level is rising. Um, yeah. And, and, and until we, uh, again, you know, we have to, we have to go out and vote for people who really support the taking this seriously and are not just giving it lip service. Um, right. It's 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 deadly serious. Like you, your vote is important. Your vote is very important. When you when you vote, make it count. You know, and when you people talk about throwing away your vote on a third party, no, they hear you. They know what's happening, and and remember, they're the ones who have the power to implement ranked choice voting. If the Republicans and the Democrats are worried about losing votes to third parties. Well, go ahead and give us ranked choice voting because then you'll get some of those votes back as second choice votes. Don't put that on us. Don't don't put that on, on on us that we're ruining your, you know, your two party game. You can make this a multi party democracy. They have the power. Um, right. Don't don't punch down. You know, put the, the onus is on them. The responsibility is on them to make this a better democracy. And they can find you at justinforall.org? Justinforall.org. It's a, it's a work in progress. I've just been learning how to uh, build my website and take control of it myself. I had paid, I had hired web developers, but now I'm using um, a web builder myself. So right now it's actually published, but it's a bit of a mess. But that's okay. You could still go there and um, you, could, you could follow me on Twitter, justinforall2. There, I'm on there all the time. I have an Instagram, Justin Paglino. Facebook is Justin for All, Paglino for Congress. Um, but yeah, um, sign up for the newsletter. That part of the website is working. And I'll keep you informed. And I'm looking for uh, you know, people who uh, maybe want to volunteer um, or just you know spreading the word is what I really ask people to do and try to make these arguments that I'm making and try to convince more people that, you know, we on the left, we need to, we need to vote for what we believe in. We got to do it. And that's the only way it's going to Thank you so happen. much. Definitely. Everyone definitely check him out on the website and definitely check him out on Twitter and Facebook. Um, again, I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. This was a really great discussion that we had today um, and wish you the best of luck. And when you win, um, definitely, like Rosa Delora has been in power for too long. <laughs> like we didn't change now, Connecticut. Chris Murphy too. <laughs> That's another one. But anyway, <laughs> also not a supporter of Medicare for all. Yeah, Johanna Hayes is the only one, and oh, and Blumenthal. Blumenthal, Blumenthal, and Johanna Hayes are the only ones of our seven. Congressional delegate that support single payer. I have a have a quick story about Blumenthal um, before we close out. Um, Blumenthal, I saw him speak in Hartford at a uh, a rally. Uh, this was about I think four years ago, um, and he was uh, he it was a rally that happened right after the shooting happened in Florida, 
um, the mass shooting that happened in Florida. And mm-hmm. so, you know, demonstration with a lot of kids there and stuff like that. And Blumenthal went on stage and he said something that really shocked me, that, that literally took me out for a, a few seconds, just a few seconds, because I have saw him speak multiple times before. He literally said, we need single payer health care. He said that. And yep. I was like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Did you talk to Chris Murphy about this first? <laughs> so I looked directly at Chris Murphy when he said that, and Chris Murphy had no expression. Nope. <laughs> he's gonna let that. He's gonna let that one slide. Yeah, he doesn't want to have to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I just thought it was a really cool exchange that just happened. I'm like this dude literally just said, "Send a pair of kids." <laughs> Yeah, you know, there are there are 118 Democrats who support single payer, um, roughly, you know, to co-sponsor the legislation. But, um, you know, it, it's not being brought to a vote. Nancy Pelosi is not going to bring it up for a vote. And, um, you know, did you see what happened in California with their single payer health care bill? Yeah, it didn't uh, get pushed through. It got pulled, you know, they, the, uh, the, the governor, it's Gavin Newsom, uh, right, said um, he was a supporter and uh, the legislature is like a Democratic Party supermajority. They totally had the power to make it happen. And a lot right. of them campaigned on it. Gavin Newsom campaigned on it. Right. They, they have no one to blame but themselves. But themselves. And, and they'll they blame Russia, it. though. <laughs> yeah, they'll find someone to blame. <laughs> But when they have Look, the power to, to give us to, to when they have the power to say no to their lobbyists and corporate donors and say yes to the people who want single payer, they said no, we're not going to do it. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to actually do it. And exactly, um, I remember when Barack Obama said he was going to support the public option, and I was like, okay. That's good. I th- I guess that's a step in the right direction. And then once he was elected, I never heard him say anything else against the pu- about the public option, except for that it wasn't important. You know, he would argue. So, you know, I've been I've been disappointed a lot. There's a lot of politicians that I believed in that I put a lot of hope in, and then got disappointed. Right. Um, so don't just listen to what they say. You got to watch what they do. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on, Justin. I'm not going to take any more of your time. Um, Love to have you back on for another time. And keep on fighting, brother. All right. Thanks. Great to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, definitely. Um, And everyone that's watching, I hope you have a really good day. Um, Happy spring and have a good day. Effectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. Volume unity. Shining individually, collectively transforming community, peace in our human family. One love, one growth, as above, so below. Feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, 
Watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light. Light warriors. Hey everyone, if you like the content that you're hearing, uh, please support the show. Uh, we have subscriptions up right now for a monthly dollar a month or up to whatever donation you feel uh, comfortable with. And also, you can hit my link bar, which is in uh, the description of the show, uh, to send me donations for Venmo and Cash App. And all this goes into bringing in better quality and also better content. So thank you. Have a good day.